The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Gone on belief. My Savior is near. And for my relief, will surely appear. My prayer let me wrestle, and He will perform. With Christ in the vessels, I smile at the storm. Dark be my way, since he is my guide. Tis mine to obey and his to provide. The cisterns be broken and creatures all fail. The word he has spoken shall surely prevail. His love and time past. the 
For many years, I've known that there was something desperately wrong in the church. As a little boy sitting in in church week after week, I questioned, why does the church not grow? Why is the church so boring, so dead? Prayer meeting. Every week I was in prayer meeting as a little boy. And I quickly learned that the saints were going to pray the same prayers each week. And so I found myself mumbling aloud their prayers along with them that I had memorized and my dad would reach over, tap me on the head, and say, stop, stop. Well, I wasn't trying to make fun of these people. I just knew what they were going to say before they prayed. And then we would have testimony meeting, and everyone would get up and share the same testimony that they'd been sharing for years. I knew their testimonies as well as they did. I could have given you each of their testimonies. It was a cold orthodoxy that that just closed the door to heaven for me. I knew there was something wrong. They would pray, and there would be no answer. They would pray, and there would be no answer. Someone would be sick, And the elders would anoint the person with oil and pray for their recovery. I never saw anyone healed. I knew something was wrong, desperately wrong. It took me many years to begin struggling to find my own way. And I'll be frank with you, what I did is I went off to school, boarding school and then college and then seminary. And in between my college graduation and my entrance into the seminary, a book was given to me by a friend by Keith Miller, A Taste of New Wine. And the new wine that he was advocating was the new wine of relationships. And I watched... As my life began to move, I went to seminary and discovered there that the new theme for pastoral ministry was program management and and relationships, relational theology. I went to a conference called Faith at Work by the Presbyterian Church. Lloyd Ogilvy, the former Senate chaplain invited me to go. And as I looked at all of this relational theology, I said, at least this is alive. And so I jumped in with both feet. And I began holding conferences and workshops on how to get free and how to be all you can be. And it was humanistic. It was It was sidelining even more so than the cold orthodoxy, the theology. And I kept asking, why are my prayers going unanswered? Until finally, I pretty well stopped praying. I just couldn't. I'd pray publicly, but I mean, I wouldn't pray privately except very short prayers, intellectual prayers. Things weren't working as far as I could tell. It was a machine. The church was a machine, and I watched all the hypocrisy in it. I watched the politics and the play of of men for positions. So I went for it too. I'm not proud. It was a failure for me. Finally, the time came when I simply withdrew, and for seven years, 
did no public ministry, had no job, lost everything, ended up homeless with my wife, and for five years lived in a wonderful non-Christian home with time just to read the scriptures. And I read from Genesis to Revelation time after time after time searching to try to understand what is it that's gone wrong? Why have our prayers gone unanswered? Now, I want to share with you He's consolidated these thoughts in such a beautiful way. The writing of Dr. Charles Price in a book he called Real Faith. Dr. Price ministered in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. This book was published in 1944. I'm going to share a part of it today and then I'm going to address this issue Why are our prayers going unanswered? He writes, More than once I've gone home from some meeting with shouts of victory ringing in my ears, but I've gone home to weep and cry out of a disappointed heart. The crowds were shouting because of some who were healed, but I was weeping because of those who dragged their tired, sick bodies back to their homes, just as needy as when they came into the meeting. Was there no balm in Gilead? Was there no compassion or sympathy in the heart of the man with the nail prints in his hands? Why were some healed in such a miraculous way and others were dismissed with an appeal to keep on believing and return later and go through the formula again. Now, I need to tell you, Dr. Price was one of the foremost leaders of the Pentecostal movement. And literally, God used him to bring thousands upon thousands of new believers into the body of Christ. This man magnificently poured out his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has discovered some things that I too have a rudimentary understanding of. And he's been very helpful to me. I pray that as you listen, your heart will be caught and you'll begin to understand the operation of faith. We must face the facts, he writes. It's not pleasing to the Holy Spirit to dismiss the evident discrepancy between theology and experience with a shrug of the shoulders and refuse to ask for light and guidance on this all-important problem. Only the truth can make us free from the bondage of fears and doubts and the discouragement that ultimately comes at the end of the road of disappointments. The only way to get the truth is to come in sincerity and absolute honesty. Honesty of heart and mind. Come to Jesus. Our Lord said that he himself was the truth. And as we open the door of the heart to him, we make possible the sweet revelations that only his presence can bring. So I'm going to be very, very frank, sometimes perhaps almost painfully so. Almost painfully so. He writes, The revelation that God has given me has answered my questions. It has solved my problems. It has deepened my love for my Lord and strengthened my surrender of heart and life to Him. He has revolutionized my healing ministry, for it has revealed to me the helplessness of self and the need of the presence, the love, the grace, and the faith of Jesus. 
So I want to confess. I want to confess that my heart has been heavy, even when the crowds were shouting and singing and declaring victory. I could see the miracles that come from the healing touch of the hand of Jesus. These were manifestations of his supernatural power. How glad I am for them. They stand as impregnable testimonies to the power of the Lord. They are unassailable in the realm of experience over which is flying the glorious banner of truth. There are thousands and thousands of these miracles, and they prove conclusively that Jesus is really the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not that we should rely upon experience to prove the word, but it is blessed indeed when we can see manifestations of answered prayer. Yet from these meetings I've gone home with the faces of poor supplicating people haunting me. I've seen them do their best to rise from the wheelchair only to sink back again in sorrow and disappointment. I've been moved by the groans and cries and intercessions around altars until they've lingered with me for days after the services were over. You have also. In your church, there is a multitude of sick and needy people. They love the Lord. They're consecrated to him. Yet there seems to be such need for a greater lifting of the physical burdens of life in answer to prayer. Ministers of the gospel have taken me aside scores of times and told me of their discouragements because of their seeming inability to exercise active faith in God. Let me stop a minute. You know what we've done today? We finally said, God's not going to answer our prayers, so let's make a great show. Let's bring people up in some churches and, and let's have the pastor pray over them and have them fall down as a courtesy fall for the pastor's ego, but there's no real presence of God there. It's just the culture. And then outside of that Pentecostal culture, there are many who have simply given up in praying unless it's part of the public entertainment. One pastor I spoke to, I said, do you pray privately? He said, no, Ray, Jesus doesn't answer my prayers. I gave that up a long time ago. It broke my heart. See, part of what Dr. Price is experiencing is that he's seeing people healed. Most of us have not. Or if we have, it's been false or a charade. I can remember some of those so-called great healing ministries where they have everyone in the wheelchair over on one side. They're careful to avoid the tough cases. <laughs> Dr. Price writes, It does not seem quite right to sing Jesus Never Fails and then watch the sick go out with their pains and sickness and ailments after the benediction. It's one thing to dismiss the supplicant with the words, Only believe. But it's another thing entirely to dismiss that case from your thought and heart if you're really sincerely honest with God. To testify to healing on the basis of faith or promise before it has happened is genuinely unwise and always inexcusable unless the faith is actually there. Even when it is there, it is better by far <clears throat> to be able to testify when the Double voice, one the articulate voice of praise and thanksgiving, and the other the inarticulate voice of the physical manifestation itself. Remember when my late wife was dying of cancer, several national prayer ministries contacted me and wanted to pray each day for her healing. They wanted to know if I had any doubt in my mind that 
she was going to be healed. And I said, no, I stand by faith. She's healed. And she wasn't. She died. And the only feedback I got from these national prayer ministries was, you didn't have enough faith, Pastor. It was your problem. (laughs) Broke my heart. And they were wrong. He writes, remember that faith, the weight of a grain of mustard seed, will do more than a ton of will or a mind full of determination. Genuine faith can no more manifest itself without result than the sunshine without faith, without heat, without light. Knowing this, believing it to be true, what is it that we have been mistakenly calling faith? Because real faith never fails to bring about the result. In my own heart, I am satisfied that many of God's children have failed to behold the difference between faith and intellectual belief. To intellectually believe in healing is one thing, but to have faith for it is another, altogether something else. That is why so many needy people who believe come to the Lord on the basis of his promise in the word and try and try and try to affirm that they are healed. Therein is our difficulty. We've made faith a condition of the mind when it is divinely imparted grace of the heart. We have been wrong in our attitude and practice over and over again when the golden sunlight of God's great grace and truth floods our hearts and minds, and when by the power of the blessed Holy Spirit we behold the provisions of his love, there will be an end to our struggling and striving, and these lives of ours will be wrapped around with the garment of his grace. In that happy hour, we shall come to realize that we can receive faith only as he gives it, no longer will we foolishly attempt to struggle to believe. Instead of the storm on the Galilee of life, there will be sweet and beautiful calm. The disciples could have worked themselves up into an emotional frenzy, trying to still the anger of the tempest. But three little words from Jesus, and the wind drops from a scream to a whisper and the sea whimpers for a moment like a crying child in its mother's arms and then settles down to sleep on the breast of nature. Three little words from Jesus, and the winds and the seas obey him. The tempest would have laughed in the face of the disciples, though they uttered a million words of commands and rebukes in the will to believe, for the tempest knew it was great. Little words from Jesus, one touch from his hand divine, and more is accomplished in the time of a of a lightning flash than all of our struggles and mental endeavors could work in a thousand years. We've made it difficult when we wanted to make it so easy. How my heart has bled as I have seen people, poor needy souls struggling so hard to exercise what he thought was faith when deep down in my heart I knew it did not come that way. Moreover, I knew faith did not operate in process or in results in the manner in which he had struggled so long in his yearning to obtain. At moments like that it was so hard to say anything for it meant the overthrow of established systems and methods. It meant the addition of certain manifestations, which for years had been needlessly associated with the exercise of faith. It meant that having arrived at the end of the road of honest endeavor, without the thing for which we had prayed and tried and tried to receive, we would be forced to come to the conclusion 
that there was something wrong in our attitude of soul and mind or there was something wrong with Jesus or the victory would have been won. We're wrong. Why are there so many who stand bewildered and perplexed in the midst of their own misgivings until perhaps doubt has entered and the gates have quietly closed to a trusting place with Jesus and they say prayer doesn't work? I think I know the answer, he writes. I am sure in my own heart that I have discovered what was wrong. I can see now where so many missed the way. The only thing to do is to ask the Spirit to lead us to lead us back to the fork in the road where because of our blindness we left the trail. We left the path. Then once again we can walk on the King's Highway of Grace and prove in our heart and experience that the book is true and that our Jesus never fails. Remember that. If there had been disappointments and failure, it has been on our part and not the failure of him who today is our advocate before the Father's throne. One of the chief difficulties in our failure is to see that faith can be received only as it is imparted to the heart by God himself. Either you have faith or you do not have. You cannot manufacture it. You cannot work it up. You cannot believe a promise and at the same time not have the faith to appropriate it. But we found the habit of trying to appropriate by belief, forgetting the while that belief is a mental quality and that when we try to believe ourselves into an experience, we are getting into the intellectual. Faith is spiritual. It is warm. It is vital. It lives. It throbs. And its power is irresistible when it is imparted to the heart by the Lord. It is with the heart that man believes unto righteousness. Heart belief opens the door of communion between us and the Lord and a divinely imparted faith becomes possible is it not a fact that with most of our conception of faith we have struggled in our attempt to believe it may be that with all of our struggling we've come at last to a place where we do believe And then we've been bewildered by the fact that we did not receive the thing for which we prayed. We must discern that such belief is not necessary or not necessarily what the inspired word calls faith. According to the word of God, all we need is faith as the grain of a mustard seed. And the thing which the world calls incurable, impossible, will be brought to pass. How many times during the meeting we have concluded, conducted, that the scripture stories of yesterday cannot be reenacted before our eyes, but they can be. The 17th chapter of Matthew is a chapter of contrast. It climbs to the heights and then goes down to the depths. It talks of a mustard seed and mountains of despair and transfiguration. But what a lesson the Holy Spirit would bring to you and to me on this great subject of faith. Down from the mountaintop of transfiguration came our blessed Lord. Down from the gate of heaven itself down from a place of holy communion and encouragement to the place of human defeat and despair. For at the foot of the glory mountain was a valley, and through it wound a trail of human bewilderment. There was sickness there, 
A crushed and bleeding heart was there, a father who had met an obstacle that had crushed him in spirit and in heart. Preachers were there too. They'd gone through the formula. They'd rebuked the devil. They'd shouted and groaned, just like we've done a hundred times, and yet the thing for which they prayed had never happened, even as with you and me, until in this more modern age, many have utterly given up and even say there is no possibility of divine healing. Everything is reduced to principles. Everything is reduced to the intellectual or to the shallow, emotional, and sentimental. But listen to what Dr. Price says. Then Jesus spoke. O glorious words of omnipotence, matchless words of authority divine. With him there was no struggle. There was no groaning. There was no battle with that fierce and long desire in order to bring about the answer to a broken father's prayer. He spoke. The devil fled. A happy boy cuddled in his father's arms, sobbed his gratitude to God. A happy father embraced his boy and looked with tear-stained eyes of love and adoration at the face of the man before whom the devils fled. Then again Jesus spoke. In answer to their question regarding their defeat, he said, Because of your unbelief, For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto the mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. What a statement! All we need is faith as a grain of mustard, and the mountain will tremble in fear as we approach. Do you realize what Jesus was saying? He declared that the least amount of faith that he could give was greater and mightier than the large amount of power of the devil. Here was a David and Goliath experience in the realm of the soul. A mustard seed went to battle against a mountain and slew it, but had required the faith that he alone could impart as a gift. Did those disciples believe? Yes, they did. They believed in Jesus. They believed in his promises. They believed in divine healing. Or they never would have held that meeting that day, believing just exactly like you and I have believed in other healing services in our church meetings. They prayed, but nothing happened. I want to expand this just a minute away from Dr. Dr. Price. Some of you are facing sickness today. Some of you are dying. Some of you are facing absolute financial loss. Or you're struggling just to pay your bills. As one man said, every month I have to take out of my savings. The income isn't enough to cover my bills. He's in a hard place. This faith that's being spoken of is not just for the healing of the body. It's for the healing of the finances. It's for the delivery of every problem of life. Now listen to what he's going to say. What what they needed, according to Jesus, was faith. Not a carload of it, just a little faith. So I want to ask you, what is faith? He's going to share with us. When a woman in one of my congregations one night told me that she had all the faith in the world for her healing, I I regretted to her to tell her that if I had faith as a grain of mustard seed, just that much of my master's faith, what greater miracles would have been wrought in the mighty name of Jesus that night? So let's face the issue squarely. Let us with open and surrendered hearts ask the Holy Spirit to send forth the light and truth to lead us to that holy hill. 
Is it not evident that when we have prayed what we thought was the prayer of faith, nothing happened? It must be that what we thought was faith was not faith. Did Jesus say that faith as a grain of mustard seed would work sometimes and not others? Did he declare that it would be operative on occasions and inoperative on others? Read the text. His declaration was clear, concise, and plain. There was nothing ambiguous about it. It was a plain statement of fact from the lips and the heart of the eternal God himself. And who can speak with greater authority than that? Whenever and wherever this faith is in operation, we shall no longer be standing among poor sick folk hour after hour, rebuking, commanding, demanding, struggling, and pleading as in the days of yore. Now there may be a place for intercession, but it is not in the exercise of faith. Intercession and groaning of the heart may precede the operation of faith, but when God's faith is imparted, the storm dies, and there is a great calm and a deep, settled peace in the soul. The only sound will be the voice of thanksgiving and praise, the full realization that it was not our ability to believe that made the sickness go, but rather that the faith which is of God was imparted. It'll steal over our soul like the morning daybreak to bid the night shadows flee away. We can believe in our blessed Redeemer and his power to heal, but only he, the Lord Jesus Christ, then in a morning, glorious morning of our soul, we can believe in the morning. We can love in the morning. We can have confidence in the morning, but only God can send the morning. Lie alone can make it. We can believe in healing. We can work the work which will lift us to the mountaintops of victory, but it's a lie. The mistake which many people have made is that they have confused their own ability to believe for the faith which is of God to sit down and repeat over and over, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed in the name of Jesus, is not only unscriptural, but extremely dangerous spiritually. I admit that such a spiritually unsound way of operating might help a few neurotic people, but it will never remove the mountains which the master spoke of. How well do I remember the crippled man in a wheelchair whose case would be illustrative of scores of others whom we have contacted from time to time. Around him were grouped a dozen people who were doing everything in their power to get him out of that chair. There were prayers and tears mixed with commands and rebukes and every sincere effort was being put forward to give him the ability to walk. And when I talked with him quietly, he told me with such deep sincerity that he was trying so hard to believe. He informed me that he had lots of faith, but now was bewildered and perplexed as to what to do. I soon discovered that he'd been entirely wrong. He had thought he would be healed if only he could believe that he was healed. That was what he was struggling and trying to do. He believed the promise of the word. He believed in the power of Jesus to accomplish the miracle. He believed so many, many things wonderful and glorious to believe in these days of doubt and fear. But he was trying to do the impossible. He was staking the working of the miracle on his ability to to believe mentally that it was done. I told him the story of a visit I once made to the house where Jesus turned the water into wine. I told him how the Holy Spirit spoke 
to an unworthy heart of mine as I stood before those pots. I asked him if he believed the Bible story of the miracle where the master was in Cana, turning the wine, the water into wine. He told me that he believed. As my thoughts turned back to the afternoon in Cana, I felt the warm glow of the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the lesson I received that day. Through the mother of Jesus, as well as the disciples, they were there. Would that water have turned into wine if they had merely believed that it was wine? It required the command which left the lips of the divine Savior. It required the touch of the hand of God himself that could fill the pots with water. They could fill them to the brim. They could carry them to the appointed place. They could do the things he told them to do, for he never asks a man to do the impossible. That power he reserves for himself. All things are possible with God. But Mark 9.23 tells us, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. The belief that Jesus is speaking of here is not head or intellectual belief, but the heart belief, which is faith. This is proved by the account which Matthew gives of the story of the lunatic boy to which We've already referred in the account by Matthew. Jesus said, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, as recorded by the narrative, if you believe, so the belief of Mark and the faith of Matthew are identical. That's my point. That is what the Spirit of God has been causing my poor eyes to behold. That faith is not intellectual, but spiritual. It is of the heart, not of the mind. Genuine scriptural faith is not our ability to count it done, but is the deep consciousness divinely imparted to the heart of man that it is done. It is the faith that only God can give. So I told my story to the old man in the wheelchair. Did you ever see a flower open to the smile and kiss of the morning sun? I saw one that day as I looked into the face of this dear old man. Home he went to patiently wait upon some angel voice would whisper in his soul the news that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by on the Jericho road of his life. A few nights later, he was back in his wheelchair. I met him. He said, I'm going to walk tonight. His eyes were alight with something I knew was faith. How do you know it? I asked him. It's so quiet and peaceful in my soul. I'm so happy in the consciousness of his presence that all I need now is to obey his word and be anointed in his blessed name. There was no struggle, not even intercession, for that had all gone before. There is no need of the darkness when the sun has come up over the hill. No need for the struggle between darkness and light that we call the morning twilight after the rays of sunshine have kissed the earth. Out of his wheelchair he got and walked the length of the altar, then got down on his knees in adoration, praise, and worship to pour out his grateful heart in thanksgiving for the heart belief of faith that comes only from God. Now I'm going to stop there. I'm going to continue this reading tomorrow. I hope you'll be with me. But we're almost out of time, and I want to draw some very specific lessons. I'm going to share with you what I've learned in my own life. You may or may not know that my entire life I'm cared for by faith. I don't receive a salary. I don't have the ability to go out and take care of myself. It is done by Jesus. I have spent many days, months, sometimes even years, and I'm still in part of that process, asking the Lord to humble my heart 
asking the Lord to give me real faith. It's not intellectual belief. It's not affirmation of promises. It's not claiming it and then counting it done. Rather, faith comes to a man or woman who gets close to God. You want to be close to God? Turn your TV off. You want to be close to God? Turn away from the world. Turn away from all of the sports. You want to be close to God? You need something from God? Stop being a glutton. You want something from God? Get alone with God. Lay out what you need from Him. And let Him begin to work in your heart and your mind. Let Him begin to change you into His likeness. Now, I pray for people. But I pray in faith. And I ask the Lord to come and accomplish His will in that person. And sometimes He tells me what that will is, and sometimes He doesn't. And I just pray, Lord, here's this brother, here's this sister. Would you show me how to pray? I have a dear sister who wrote to me. I just got the letter yesterday from Baltimore. Her first name is Josephine. Josephine is desperately asking for prayer, for healing. Lord, how would you have me pray? I know that Josephine's heart is to be healed. I know that God's heart is for Josephine to be brought very close to his side and to know the love Jesus has for her and to let the Holy Spirit teach her what she has to lay aside. What is blocking the healing that she so desires in her heart? See, when Jesus went down that Jericho road, blind Bartimaeus, when he found out Jesus was passing by, cried out until Jesus said, bring him. I too cry out to Jesus. I cry out for you. I cry out for this radio broadcast. I cry out for the healing of this dear sister. And I'm going to pray in just a moment. I pray for Alex. I pray for Leslie. I pray for Tom. I pray for... I pray for Ed. I pray for... For Mike... I pray for Mark. I pray for Peter. I pray as the Holy Spirit directs me. Do you understand that if you want something from God, you don't claim a promise and then stand on that promise? You come and ask Jesus to bring you very close to him. We have a a saying we've said at the National Prayer Chapel. You claim a promise and you stand on it until God comes and stands on you. Well, why would God come and stand on you? Well, because he wants you to come very close to him. He loves you. Oh, Lord, I lift up Josephine now before your throne of grace. Lord, I stand by faith and the peace I feel in my heart, the quietness of my spirit to pray and ask that you would draw Josephine very close to your bleeding side. I ask that you would Bring her into that intimate place with you. 
I ask you to care for her financially. Lord, she sent a sacrificial offering to you. I ask that you would see that widow's might, that you would heal her finances, that you would heal her body right now. But much more than either finances or body, I pray, Lord, that you'll heal her mind and her soul and comfort her heart. I pray right now you'll see her tears, that you'll put your arms around her, Jesus. I pray you'll come, Lord, and minister to her heart and lift her up out of every discouragement. Set her eyes on heaven, Jesus. It doesn't matter what she's done. You forgive every sin. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are of her life, for you control all the circumstances. Lord, I just come by faith now, and I pray your blessing for Josephine and all the others that I lift before you. Thank you, Lord. I praise your name. Amen. Well, we're almost out of time for this broadcast. This has been Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel? Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And I will pray for you as I pray for Josephine and as I pray for the many others. Just a quick update. We prayed for Kiki. She's out of the hospital. She's home. But she has to be set free from every demonic influence. Would you pray for Kiki's deliverance and stand by faith that she will become a child of the king? Her foster parents are serious Christians. They love her dearly. Would you pray for her healing? Now, you can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, or you can give by writing to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We've got to step into this real faith. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. God bless you, my brother and my sister. I love you. I look forward to hearing from you. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory With great joy